Um, we've got some Bibles back there on the wooden table. Um, there's an information sign there, a lot of resources. Um, you can grab one of those. That is yours. We would love for you to, um, to have that, to read it especially, right? Um, yeah, have it, read it, um, engage with it. We love God's Word again, and uh, we want you to have a, uh, a copy. Um, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, as I mentioned last week, uh, we were on a, a chapter a week schedule, but we had to break it, right? Which is good because that's not something we need to be accustomed to um, here. So, uh, so we we broke it last week and we looked at the first sixteen verses of one Timothy chapter five, uh, and now we are moving into verses seventeen through twenty-four. This second section, uh, and well, the last of I guess you, you could say uh, one Timothy chapter five, and then we'll go into chapter six next week, which really begins with a short section that connects well with what we see in chapter five. So. All of that to say, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So, if you have a Bible, open there. If you turn on to there, uh, then turn on to there. That is um, where we are going to spend the bulk of our time today. So, what have we seen over the past uh, the past month or so as we've worked through this letter? Well, um, it is valuable uh, each week to consider what we have observed that has come prior um, and how that informs the way that we uh, the way we read what we see today. And so what have we seen Paul uh, dealing with? For those of you that might be parachuting in uh, five chapters into 1 Timothy, here's what's going on, right? Uh, Timothy is pastoring a church um, that is having some issues, right? Especially as it pertains to leadership and like understanding of roles within the church. We are uh, taking the summer to walk through 1 and 2 Timothy, observing marks and instruction for the gospel-driven church. And so a lot of times we are, uh, we're seeing how it specifically relates to um, the church, right? The, the organization that is the fellowship of God's people, but then also uh, how that informs the way that we as God's people live our lives out as well. And so if you go back to the very beginning, we saw that there are uh, some men in uh, what we would imagine to be leadership positions who are not leading well. Okay, they're not leading well. They're creating disunity within the fellowship. That's a massive deal because we said uh, and will continue to say that the church, that is God's people, right, are, uh, are existing and serving as a light to the world displaying the goodness, the character, the generosity, the love of our God. And so disunity within the fellowship is a major deal for Paul because there is not disunity within the Godhead, right? But there is unity, Father, Son, and Spirit, unified, right? Um, one God, three persons. And so in order to uh, most accurately uh, display the character of our God, there is a need for unity within the fellowship. And we've got some guys who have brought disunity by way of poor leadership into the fellowship. We've got people who are functioning in roles that they ought not to function in, right? Um, we've got women who are, who are teaching in a way that they are not designed or created to be teaching and exercising authority. And so Paul says, hey, let's bring this back to God's um, intention for uh, how the church ought to function. And even we get this wonderful picture of like complementarianism, um, which is the way that we relate men and women, the way that we support and, and work within these specific roles that God has created us to function. That's a lot of information, right? It's a lot of information. I get that. And it's really important as we come into this section, especially in light of what we saw in chapter uh, three. In chapter three, we saw qualifications for elders and deacons, those in leadership. Why is that important to emphasize? Well, because we've got guys who are not modeling these particular marks. And so Paul says to Timothy, here's what needs to be observable from the life of the leadership in order for them to serve and to function in these roles. Now, uh, a little bit of backstory on why we find ourselves in 1 and 2 Timothy at this particular point in the life of our church. Uh, when we launched on January First of 2017, one of our goals uh, was to see membership brought about within this fellowship within the first 12 months. And the Lord was gracious, and that happened. And we've seen this fellowship grow by way of individuals um, buying into a biblical model for the church and the mission of this church and saying, yes, we are in on this. We're about this. 
Uh, as we stepped back and we said, all right, that's the first 12 months. What do the next 12 months look like for us? One of the things that came to the forefront was the need for leadership to be developed and established within this local fellowship. And so why are we going through 1 and 2 Timothy? Well, because a large portion of this is that the fellowship here, that we might be informed from God's word as to what we ought to look for in leaders, right? What are the expectations for leaders, and how do we uh, how do we look out, right, uh, upon this group that God has has brought together and identify who ought to be in a position of, of leadership within this church and submission to the headship of Christ and seeking to lead His people. That's why we're here, and so it's super helpful to consider all of those things as we step back again into instruction for elders, right? We're really going to look at a few things this morning. We always have a big idea that we seek to wrap our uh, our minds around, and so um, here it is for this morning. If you take notes, I would strongly encourage you to write this down. This is almost verbatim what we are going to be observing this morning. The church displays her love and adoration for God and his word as elders are honored, protected, corrected, and set apart. Those are the four elements that we're going to uh, observe from the concluding verses of chapter 5 this morning. The church displays her love and adoration for God and his word, okay? And so as we come into our time together today, we have to consider what we as a church exist for. What is our desire? Well, we desire to display the goodness and the glory of God. And that manifests itself in our love and adoration for him. We, observe, we, uh, we, we show the world around us our feelings towards God in light of his feeling for us and his submission or, sacrifice and the submission of Christ to rescue us by loving and adoring God. And so we want to be about that. We want to be about loving God. We want to be about adoring God. We want to display that to the world around us. And so a few ways that Paul touches on uh, this working itself out within the church is that elders are honored, protected, corrected, and set apart. And so as we come into um, these verses this morning, there's really two major sections that we're going to look at, followed by two uh, subsections under each one of these major sections. Okay, that sounds confusing, but here it is, and I think that that makes it a little bit more clear for us. So we're going to break it down into two categories. First, care for elders, care for elders, honoring elders, protecting elders, and then care for the church, correcting elders and appointing elders. And so care for elders, and care for the church. These are the two categories that we're going to be looking at this morning as we uh, conclude our time in chapter 5. Does that make sense? We good so far? Everybody okay? Awesome. Let's continue on then. Let's begin by observing uh, these marks in terms of care for elders. Let's look at verses 17 and 18 and see what Paul has to say to Timothy, really to the fellowship in Ephesus by way of Timothy, right? There's this instruction both for Timothy and for the church. And he touches on, as he, as he begins, this honoring of elders. Look with me at verse 17 and 18. Directly from God's word. Here's what Paul has to say. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. He continues on in verse 18. And we're going to unpack each one of these individually a little bit more in just a moment. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain. And the laborer deserves his Wages, And so we begin in verse 17 and 18 in this call, this exhortation to respect and to honor elders within the church, the leadership of the church. These men who model the qualities unpacked in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that have been, uh, that have been elevated into this position. Similarly to that of the widows of 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 through 16, which is what we saw last week, we see this call to honor and care for these men who have been set aside to lead the church. 
Right, to, to honor and to respect these men who have been set aside ultimately by the Lord, affirmed by the fellowship to lead the church in submission to Christ. So listen to how this unpacks itself. Listen to the way that this works. How do leaders lead? This is a great question that we can ask. Um, and we find it here from, from God's word. Right? As, as these individuals, these men lead in submission to Christ... By the strength of the Spirit and in accordance with the Word, all to the glory of God. So think about the way that that works. How do leaders within the church, how do these elders who are recognized and set apart based on what we see at the end of this passage, right? How ought they lead within the church? Well, they submit first to the headship of Christ, right? They they look to Christ. Right? They submit to Christ. He is our king. He is our boss. He is our our ruler. He is our redeemer. We follow him. So we submit to him. We do so by the strength of the spirit. Right? There's There's this reliance that's emphasized here. These elders that are worthy of honor. It all comes back to a reliance on the spirit. Right? Because naturally what do we do as it pertains to instruction from God from his word for us? Well we don't do that, right? We do us. We don't do that. We do us, right? And so in order to like display a submissive, a submissive posture to Christ, we rely on the spirit and we live in accordance to the word of God. How does God's word call us to live? And, and lastly, all of this glorifies God. And so if we, if we take it back to like the simplest common element, right, we see that this setting apart of leaders who display the characteristics laid out by Paul to Timothy in chapter 3 exists to lead the fellowship, right, to, to display Christian life and Christian walk, right, to, uh, to glorify God. That is what it is about. When we think about honoring elders and we see this call here, we see that it all comes back ultimately to a reliance on God and a, a lifting up and an exalting of him. Paul says something similarly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to what he says. And this again has to do with what is the relationship between the church and elders. Here we go. Paul writes this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And so even there, we consider what is the role of the elder. Well, there's an admonishing of the fellowship that exists there. We talked about that when we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3. What do elders do? What do pastors and overseers within that fellowship do? Well, there is this very clear 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 instruction towards the admonishing of the fellowship. Right? A love for the fellowship. Right? Leaders love the fellowship. Leaders love the sheep. They care for the sheep. They desire good for the sheep. They desire God to be glorified by way of their leadership. Verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so Paul, as we just observe what he has to say in in verse 17 alone, is super clear that those who serve well in this office, right, verse 17, have displayed faithfulness to the qualifications laid out in chapter 3, right? That is what it means to serve well. There's a going back to chapter 3 and saying, what is all of this about and what does it look like? Well, there's a submission to and a display of these characteristics. And as a result, these men ought to be cared for by the fellowship. And then Paul adds this. He says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so let's step back into chapter 3 first and let's understand and, and, and identify again these qualifications that are mentioned by Paul, elders are to lead the church well and their homes. This is what Paul has to say in chapter 3 for those of us who have, uh, maybe we're not here or, hey, it's been a long couple of weeks, right? Amen? Absolutely. And so uh, elders are to lead the church well. They lead their homes well and love, care, and sacrifice. There's a call, a super clear call, to emulate the care of Christ as the good shepherd of John chapter 10, and, and, and ca- in which case we see one caring for Christians. 
Right? We see uh, that these individuals have displayed success in faithfulness, that they are doing what they ought to do. They are above reproach. This is what it looks like to lead well. We're connecting with what verse 17 has to say here. They, these are individuals who are above reproach, chapter 3, managing his home well. They hold to sound doctrine. That's a major issue in Ephesus right now, right? Holding to sound, uh, holding to sound doctrine, uh, pointing out error, all the while as an example to the flock, seeking to emulate him as he emulates Christ. We said this uh, back in this area, right? Um, that there is a sense in which the fellowship can look upon the leadership of the church and they can say, all right, I'm going to emulate this person, confident that they are indeed emulating Christ. Paul has similar things to say uh, throughout his letters that you can emulate me. Why? Well, because I'm emulating Christ. And through that, there is this pointing back to to Jesus, who it's, who it's all about. Paul um, had a clear conscience as he called the church to participate in this activity. This is what it looks like, okay? Let elders who rule well. This is what it looks like to be successful, to lead well in gospel ministry as an elder. This is what it means to be a good leader, okay? And so when you think about what leadership within the church looks like, and you think about our own context as we say, hey, here's a desire that we have. Right? It's to look to God's word, to understand the qualifications and the marks of those who lead well within God's church, to identify them, and then to see them brought into these positions that they might lead the fellowship, right? that they might hold out and hold up sound doctrine, right? that, that the gospel might be clearly proclaimed, that the flock might be cared for, loved, admonished, that the household might be led well. These are all things that we see emphasized uh, in chapter 3, and now here, just in that, those who rule well, portion of verse 17. In chapter 5, we see an emphasis on preaching and teaching. Right? He says in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who what? What does he say? Who labor in preaching and teaching. Right? I love the, the imagery there that Paul associates with the work of the pastor, of the elder. What does it look like to, to be a pastor? If you drive by the square on your, on your average Monday afternoon and you look over to the left or right or whichever direction you're coming and you see me outside drinking coffee, know that it's not simply because I love coffee, although that is certainly true, but that there is some work that's going on, right? There's a, there's a laboring that's taking place. This is what the leaders within the church, God's men, are called to do, to labor, right? To, to, to work. We see similar illustrations used by Paul and various other places within pastoral epistles. This, this encouragement to be preaching and teaching. If this is not to say that Paul's expectation is that only uh, elders worthy of honor are, are locking themselves away in a room completely disassociating from the fellowship in their Bibles every hour of every day. However, it is clear that there is a high expectation upon leadership within the church to give a large amount of time to ministry of the word and prayer. Right? The, the elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy, Paul says, of double honor. That is those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so let's ask this question. What does this look like in terms of application when we consider honoring elders, when there is this recognition that qualities are, are present, that marks are present, that an individual is laboring in the word? Paul says that, that individuals like this ought to receive a double honor. Now, what does that mean, and, and what does that look like, and what does it ultimately elevate? Right? Well, we can say this, that ultimately it is an elevation of the appreciation of God's word, word ministry, and prayer. Does that make sense? Right? There's, there's an emphasis here on care for elders, right? Even a, a monetary element that is present within this passage by way of the call to honor Right? And so what is this about? Is this a monetary issue? Is this a money issue? What is it all about? Is this a, an individualistic issue or is this a church issue? Well, ultimately, at its root, at its core, at the foundation, it's a heart issue. 
Right? Think about what the implications are for what we read in verses 17 and 18. 17, uh, specifically, 18 is a support for what Paul writes in verse 17. He says that they are, these individuals who rule well, are worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so let's consider how this manifests itself in the church at Ephesus. Paul extends this, 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 this instruction to Timothy to share with the church at Ephesus. And as the church of Ephesus receives this news, there is this recognition in their minds of the importance of word ministry, right? You guys um, are we're familiar with this, right? That that where um, like where our, our finances go, like so, like is a fairly you know accurate display of our hearts, right? Do we recognize that? And so when we see this instruction here, it says to the fellowship, okay, do we value? Um, the elevation of God's word. Like, do we value that? Do we value word ministry? Right? Do we value that God's word would be faithfully preached, right? That, that the saints would be edified and encouraged by way of faithful presentation of God's word, right? Do we value that? Is that valuable? Or are we pouring our energy and our efforts and our resources in the areas that may be valuable but are not altogether connected with the word ministry, right? Do we get that? Do we get that there's an emphasis here by way of honoring elders on word ministry? Paul says that these individuals are worthy of a double of a double honor then we look at at verse 18 at which point we see paul provide this beautiful picture of of biblical support for what he is saying he says listen this is founded in scripture and what's interesting super interesting here is that there's a new testament reference that paul actually cites in his second example luke Well, why is that so important? Well, because in his first example, he cites from Deuteronomy chapter 25 when he says this. Hey, what I'm saying, there's biblical support for this. There's foundation for this. Scripture says, hey, don't muzzle uh, an ox when it treads out. Grain. There's this picture of, of an ox who is, um, who is working on the threshing floor to, to divide up the grain from the chaff, and everything's just blown away, and what's left is, is the grain. He's working hard, and he says here that when there is this labor that's going on, that there's, there's biblical support for. There's, there's a command to care for the ox as it treads out grain. So there's this interesting picture here, right, of leadership within the church, like treading out grain, right, like like oxen. I don't know. It's interesting to me. I find it quite humorous, in fact, right? You've got this ox who's working, and he's comparing it to the elder who works. And so, um, yeah, elders are oxes, apparently, right, is the way that that kind of works itself itself out. That's the way Paul connects it here. And then he looks at Luke chapter 10. Now, why is that so interesting? This is a side note. But I think that it really helps the way that we understand um, Paul's understanding of the importance of the New Testament writings. He cites from Deuteronomy chapter 25, right, which they had. And then he cites from Luke chapter 10, which would be uh, letters in circulation uh, in the time of the life and, and ministry of Paul. And he looks back at what Luke wrote, and he uses, it as a, he uses it as biblical support for his statement that he's referencing in light of Deuteronomy chapter 25 in this call to honor. Does that make sense? He elevates what Luke has written to the same level uh, that we see Deuteronomy chapter 25. Why is that important? Well, if we're questioning the validity or the value or the authority of the New Testament in the life and day of Paul, then he uh, just uh, just eradicates that idea right here in the very beginning, right? He, he elevates Luke's writing and puts it on par with what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 25. The instruction is clear. Care for those who give themselves to vocational ministry. Care for those who give themselves to vocational ministry. In response, the fellowship is to what? To give generously and in doing so to reflect a value and appreciation for word ministry. At which point I want to say this. I just want to acknowledge some things. That that I am currently the uh, lone staff member here at Christ the King. We have some incredible volunteers, right? 
Um, I think about my wife, Courtney, and I think about Anna, who's outside running around with the kids right now, and David in the back who's doing sound, Logan who does slides every week, um, Kayla and Matt, uh, who do an incredible amount as it pertains to engagement team, Walt and Jacqueline and Matt and Lydia, and the list goes on and on and on. Those who serve within this fellowship, you guys are incredible. And yet, for some reason, right, like, I'm the one who is being supported uh, financially by way of this fellowship, at which point I want to say this, um, that I love and appreciate this fellowship in your heart, right? I love and appreciate this fellowship in your heart for God's word. Can I just get, like, personal, like, real for a second? Like, I love your love for the word of God. And my desire as the pastor of this church is to continue to admonish you and encourage you, right, to point you towards Christ and towards greater uh, greater uh, intimacy and depth within God's word. My desire is that you would love God's word and that that would then result in a, a transformed relationship with the fellowship and with the culture outside. Does that make sense? Right, that we would then desire to live lives of radical generosity. This is not a new concept. We see this reflected all the way back in the commands of God for his people following their deliverance from Egypt. We sang about it this morning. Right? God extends commands and laws to his people, and he says things like, like don't steal. Right? Don't covet. We can go, okay, well, that seems simple enough, but how in the world does that connect and relate with what we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 5? Well, on a deeper level, we see the call is not simply uh, in, in that place, right, to, to not steal, but it's about living lives of generosity that glorify God. Why? Well, because it displays, again, His character. Our God, our God, is incredibly generous. Right? He, he is generous in that he seeks after and saves sinners who are incapable of rescuing, saving, or sustaining themselves. Right? He, he extends daily provision. He meets our needs in our rebellion. He calls us into faith. He adopts us into the family. He saves us by way of the sacrifice of the Son. And the hope of the resurrection He is committed to empower his people for the work of ministry and has promised to return, recreating the world by burying sin fully and finally that we, his people, might dwell in his presence in glory forever. Man, God is generous. Why? Because we cannot purchase this. Only he can. And so in this model, we see an elevation of God's word. Do we value word ministry? Do you, do you value God's word? Do we decide, desire to see God's word taken out among the nations? We say here that our mission as a fellowship is to equip the saints, right? To be about making disciples of our neighbors and the nations, valuing God's word, believing what it says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? We, we hold out the word of God to our community, and we say, here it is. Right? Of all the things the culture says bring, bring life, this is what brings life. Right? God's word is, is living, and it is active, and it brings life, and we as a fellowship value that. And so we are laying a foundation here. I say this, that I am a appreciative of this fellowship in your heart. And I, I appreciate it so much, and I love you so much, that I'm going to continue to admonish you and encourage you and spur you on, right? We're not going to rest except in Him, right? We're going to continue to pursue after greater intimacy and love for the Word. We're going to abide in it. We're going to make a home in it. We're going to live it. We're going to feast on it, right? That's what we're going to do. But but what we're talking about here, man, it doesn't end with me. What we're talking about here is a foundation that's being laid for this church that, like, we pray outlasts all of us in this room. That was a really trippy place for me to come to. Okay, can I say trippy? Is that all right? That was a really trippy place for me to come to when I started thinking about, man, this group began as a small a small group of people gathered together in our living room as I sat in a chair, my wife beside me, and we just... We just read God's word, and we're confident that God will do what he's going to do by way of proclamation of what we have here. And then it just continued to that, continued to 
can move us and move us and move us. And now here we are. And many of you weren't in that room when we began this church, when this church started, when God started doing what he has continued to do so faithfully, so graciously, and so generously. But now you are. And so eventually I come to a point where I go, man, this is way bigger, right? Like when we were in our home and there were like five or six people there and like we got it and we saw we did life together, then it was much smaller, but now it's expanded out. And this is a church, man, that we pray outlives me, right? Like God will bury the messenger, but he will continue the message, right? And our prayer for this fellowship, my prayer for this fellowship is that faithful men, those worthy of double honor, that, it, that display and exemplify the qualities listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 would be brought into this fellowship, that would be trained up in this fellowship, that would be set aside by this fellowship to continue the word ministry long after we are gone. That is what we want. That is what we want. And so we see this call in verse, we've got to move on. We're only in verse 17 and 18. We've got to move on. We see this call, we see this call to honor elders, followed by this instruction to protect elders. Now, this makes a lot of sense when we understand who this is coming from, right? This is coming from Paul, right, who has experienced his fair share of accusation, right? And and so we see, beginning now in verse 19, this, this instruction from Paul to Timothy, the church at Ephesus, that lays a foundation for protection of these men who have been set apart to serve in this most specific way. He says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, this is not new. We find its foundations in the Old Testament. But Paul says, hey, make sure that you do this. Make sure that you protect the elders. That if there is, And there are ample opportunities for Friction between leaders and the fellowship, right? Because there are times in which, and we'll see it in just a moment, sin is in need of being addressed. I was in Chicago just a few weeks ago. As many of you guys know, we have an incredible partnership with the church in Chicago through Fellowship of the Word. And while I was there, Dave Jaspers, who is the pastor of the church, Ridgeway Baptist Church, that we partner with um, just outside of Chicago, was telling me about a couple of church discipline issues that they were working through as a fellowship. And he said, there were two, and he said one of them, um, really difficult, but like awesome opportunity to display like grace and and, uh, and, and uh, the bringing back together of a brother who had been separated. This is super encouraging and we're excited about it. The other, he said, um, is now uh, being dealt with because of, of uh, slanderous accusations being made from one individual against the leadership because of their addressing sin in this individual's life. And so we see that there are opportunities for um, ill will, right? Being an elder, we said go back to chapter 3, is a good and noble task. If you aspire towards this, that is a good thing. At the same time, um, we are all familiar with the statement that no good deed goes unpunished, right? You guys familiar with this? I saw on uh, YouTube this past week because, of course, right, like YouTube videos. And um, there was this video of a man who rescued, I think, a child from like a really big snake. It was in a foreign country. Anybody else see this this week? No. Okay. Well, I'll explain it to you guys. Hang on. I'm going to walk you through this real quick. All right? There was a, uh, a child who was rescued by this man. He was being, like, uh, like wrapped up by this big snake. I guess that's what they do. They wrap up, right? And so he's wrapping up this child, and the guy saves the kid. And then he, like, poses to take a picture. He rescues the kid. The snake is, like, massive. And, like, he's holding it out like this. And there's a guy over here holding it. a guy over here holding it. And he's like, man, look at this thing. This is incredible. I just saved this kid. And... Man, what a great, what a great thing, right? And then the snake proceeded to like wrap itself around this guy and like almost kill him, right? And so we go, yeah, we recognize that no good deed goes unpunished, right? Okay, that's a little bit of well what we see uh, Paul talking about here. That you're serving and you may get wrapped up by a snake. That's the moral of the story. Let's move on. Yeah. So we see that there is this call to hey protect the elders, right? If accusations are brought against an elder, make sure that this isn't like a sinful accusation that one who has. Uh, been in sin that has been addressed is now uh, being called out. There were ample opportunity for that here in Ephesus. Leaders who are not leading well, that Timothy was going to have to have 
difficult conversations with. If these guys want to come back and they want to say something uh, about you or accuse you or slander you, let's make sure that this is legit. Make sure that there are uh, witnesses to the accusation. And so we see very clear call for elders to honor the elders and to protect the elders. And then we see this care for the church emphasized uh, beginning in verse 20. And so let's look there. Again, are elders above correction? Absolutely not. As for those who persist in sin. Well, the Bible has a lot of things to say about persisting in sin and how one ought to go about addressing this. Uh, Matthew 18 is a great place that you can look at that. How does one go about addressing sin in the life of a brother or a sister, in this case, a brother, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Why? Well, so that the rest may stand in fear. Right? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without uh, prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. He says this, that in order to protect the church, there are going to be times in which there needs to be correction brought to an elder. Now, 1 Timothy lays this out for us super clearly, right? As we get this picture of men who are not leading well. They're leading astray. And so how do we go about addressing this? How do we go about dealing with this? Will you go about it in a Matthew 18 fashion? We know Paul would have said that. Why? Well, because he's already quoted from Luke chapter 10 here, and so he would have certainly affirmed what we see in Matthew chapter 18 as it pertains to going to brothers in sin, correcting elders. Elders, elders, pastors, right? We are all human, right? We're all human, and there are times in which correction needs to be brought. And Paul says very boldly to Timothy, and it comes to it, bring these individuals before the fellowship so that they might see and they might observe the importance of these issues, right? That there is this accountability that exists even for the leadership, that things are in need of being addressed and we are going to address them. This is a way of protecting the fellowship. He goes on and we see uh, in uh, verse 21, he says, listen here, not only that, but don't prejudge. Don't do anything, um, don't do anything from, from partiality. Don't show preference, this is hard. I thought about what this would look like, right? Like, I think about our church and how we have, I, me, a lone elder at this point with an external elder, Neil Aubrey, who assists in leadership and decision-making. But, but you think about the way this works and the way that elders sometimes function together, pastors within a church, close, in the trenches together. Follow me here. In the trenches together. And yet, we imagine this scene in which This charge is brought against them, and there are witnesses, and there is a need to go about addressing this issue. Don't show partiality, right? The call is a hard one. There might be times in which those who you are closest to, the ones that you are doing ministry with, that you are like soldiers entrenched, fighting darkness and and evil alongside one another, that you're going to have to go to these brothers, and you're going to have to address certain challenging and difficult issues. Don't, don't prejudge, don't put it to the side, but, but go about this in a proper way. Why? Well, because it displays, again, the importance of the pursuit of holiness for the fellowship. And a care for a brother in sin, even if he is in leadership, a desire to see sin turned from and restoration brought about. Repentance. Right? And, and confidence in Christ to bring about the satisfaction that whatever one has been looking for in this area of sin uh, is, is just eradicated, right? That it's pushed to the side and it's seen for what it is. And that is incapable of bringing about satisfaction. We continue on, right? We continue on and we see this, this encouragement not to be hasty and appointing elders. Why? Well, because all of this is challenging. So what does Paul have to say? He says, don't be hasty in laying on hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. It looks like the wheels might be coming off in some areas, but Timothy, maintain purity. 
Right? Take care of yourself. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. He says this of sin. The sins of some men are conspicuous. They go before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. Some are very clear. They're out front, right? And you can see these things very clearly from a mile away, and yet others are more difficult to spot. So don't be hasty. Right? Don't be don't be. Hasty. Likewise, he says in verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous and even uh, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What is, hey, here's what he's saying. This is incredible. That your sin will find you out, right? That sin will be exposed. The Lord is faithful to do that. Hang around long enough and sin will be exposed. At the same time, we see that good works will be exposed, that they will be brought out, that they will be acknowledged. I love the emphasis from Paul here as he, as he lays this instruction out, right? Uh, to, to honor elders, to protect elders. There's this emphasis on care for the church, correcting elders, and finally appointing elders. And so let's ask this question because I'll be honest with you. When we looked, when I, we, who am I talking about? Me and the rat in my pocket. When we looked at this this past week. No, me and the Holy Spirit. We were together, we were in the Word, and it was happening, right? We were looking through this passage together, and um, the biblical theology in this passage just blew me away. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this as we conclude our time together. And so when we talk about biblical theology, I want us to consider what that is and what we mean by this. We talk about biblical theology in answering this question. How does this fit into the redemptive narrative? How in the world do you take this instruction from Paul to Timothy in this local church about dealing with elders and caring for the church? How do you take that and fit that into the redemptive narrative and that is God's rescuing of a people? How does that fit? Okay, this is incredible. I want us to think about this for just a moment. You've got it on the screen. Some of you can't see the board. Um, Sorry. We're going to do it anyway. Okay, so I want us to think about this for just a moment. Think about what we observe in creation. Go all the way back to Genesis and we see creation, right? The creation narrative. If you want to know how we got here, you're unfamiliar with the Bible, go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And it does a great job, a stellar job of laying a sure foundation for us. We see God create. We see God create, and and he creates all that is observable in the world around us, and then he caps off creation by creating Adam, right? He creates Adam, and then he employs Adam to lead in a most specific way, doesn't he? Right, to exercise dominion and to, to work a job. We were talking about work, right, and the value of work and how work is not a consequence of the fall, but is a part of God's plan of for leadership, uh, and, his, and for his people. And so we see Adam is, is commissioned, right? He's charged. He's placed in a position of leadership. And as he begins his job, he quickly realizes that there is some incompleteness in him, right? And he is desiring a helper, right? A helpmate. God is gracious. He brings him to this realization. And then he creates from man woman, right? Her name's Eve. You can check that out again all the way back in Genesis chapter uh, one and two. So we see that there. God creates and we see fellowship. We see leadership. The man, Adam, is given a role of leadership in his family to lead his wife well, right? And to work well. That's what God does. That's what God calls him to. And he enjoys in this call intimacy with God that goes unrivaled on this side of eternity, right? Perfect fellowship and perfect intimacy with God. God's spirit residing within him. He is walking with God. He is enjoying perfect fellowship with God and with his wife, absent of sin. Only we see a leadership failure, right? We see a leadership failure in that Adam fails to lead his wife as he ought to, and she strays, and as a result is brought into sin. She shares that with her husband, and what do we see? Genesis chapter 3, the fall, right? Leadership failure, okay, in Genesis chapter 3. Now, what is the rest of the story? Well, you can read throughout the rest of the Old Testament on into the New Testament, and you will see again and again and again failure as it pertains to leadership. 
right? You'll, you'll see a continuous downward spiral of sin. Read through the book of Judges. It's exhausting. It's incredible. And it's exhausting because you see again and again the faithfulness of God to maintain a commitment to his plan of redemption that brings us from here, broken fellowship, to here, uh, intimacy with him. Downward spiral again and again and again by way of the, uh, by way of the judges and the kings. By, we don't even have to go that far. We see, we see Moses' failure. We see Abraham's failure. We see failure again and again and again as it pertains to leadership. And so we're brought, as we read through the Old Testament, beginning here, failure, 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 continued failure by way of God's people. And we're brought to this realization that there is need for a truer and better leader, right? And so what do we do? Well, we come to um, the, the, the New Testament, right? We cross the bridge and we see Christ who models and displays a, a faithfulness and a commitment to all of the things that God's people have been called to and challenged for throughout, uh, throughout history up until this point where they had failed. We see Christ succeed. Humanity's failure to lead. In Christ, we see perfect leadership, right? By way of, of his, his sinless existence, as he goes to the cross, embracing separation from the Father and all of the wrath that we deserve in light of our rebellion and failure to lead, he takes that on himself. He dies, and he's buried. Now, we, we know the story, right? We, 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 we saw it today in the Apostles' Creed. Three days later, he, he rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples. He says some incredible things. He spends 40 days ministering to them, and then he ascends, but not before commissioning them and sending them to Jerusalem to await what? A helper. Who would empower God's people to lead in a way that God had desired them to going all the way back to the beginning. Think about what we said in, in, in the start of our time together. Let the elders who rule well. Why is there this opportunity to lead well, to truly be the church, right? to, to be a people set apart, a priesthood of saints and a holy nation? God's people have failed time and time and time again. And then finally we see Success in the person of Christ fulfilled, followed by this empowering that takes place. God empowers the church and specific men called. I'm circling these guys, right? Do you like? I also do you like the diversity among the men? right here, right? Like, we love diversity, and there's, there's, this is a diverse fellowship here, right? And so, we, we're circling guys out, right? Men set apart to lead, set apart by God, empowered by God to lead. Now, do they fail at times? Absolutely. Do I fail at times? Absolutely. But you know what? Christ has not failed. Christ has not failed. And so when we consider how 1 Timothy chapter 5 fits into this, we see this hope that in our failure there is instruction that calls us back here. Does that make sense? It calls us back here to repentance and reliance. There's this work of sanctification in the lives of each one of these. Let's give a couple of different colors here. Each one of these. There's a work of sanctification by way of the instruction that we see. There's this care. There's this setting apart. There's this honoring, honoring in a way that glorifies God. It's a God-glorifying honoring. And so how does this fit into the story? Well, we see that this, all that, man, all that Paul is calling Timothy and the church at Ephesus toward, and all that he is calling, calling me, Right? And the fellowship here towards is possible only because of who Christ is and what he has done. 
Does that make sense? That's how it fits. It fits in the story and that it is enabled by Christ and the power of the Spirit to the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel as it is displayed to the world around us. And so, man, this brings us into a posture of appreciation and worship. And so how do we respond? How do we respond? Man, there is a, a, a Christ-like reliance and appreciation that God's people have in light of what we see here. That there's failure, but God is committed to the work. And all of this elevates his name. It's an elevation of, of God and what he does and what he is doing. It brings glory to him, and it is a wonderful display to the world around us of the hope of the gospel. And so how do we respond? Here's the thing that we can write down. Let's write this down. Here's the thing. Awaken to the call of the office. Awaken to the call of the office. As we, as a church, seek to identify prayerfully and and spirit-reliantly men who can occupy these positions of leadership. Right, who, 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 who display the qualities, spirit-empowered uh, qualities laid out in chapter 3 and on into chapter 5. Awaken to the call of the office in character and in function. Godly men functioning, reliant on God and committed to his call. Man, if you aspire towards this, this is good. Right? For men in our fellowship who aspire towards this, this is good. Let us look to Christ. Let us look to Christ, reliant on Christ and the power of the Spirit that now resides within the people of God to be a part of this work. Man, what incredible news. The church displays her love and adoration for God and his word as elders are honored, protected, corrected, and set apart. May we be about this work. May we be about this work to the glory of God. Amen.